0: Welcome to a very special edition of Talking Comics. I am going to be your host for this uh, episode. I'm Stephanie Cook, and I'm joined by Mr. Bob Breyer. Good evening. And I'm joined on the line by Mike Antonucci. Hi. Hi. Thank you for joining us. This isn't at all like deja vu. (laughs) Uh, So... We have Mike on the phone with us to discuss a very, very cool story that he's been developing for a little while. Um, As you guys may be aware of, this whole James Bond thing is a pretty big deal. It's been going on for a long time, the whole franchise, the books, the movies, and all the subsequent stuff that has come out of it. Um, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about what... James Bond and you have to do with being here.
1: <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a baby boomer who got a 1965 James Bond attaché case from his uh, uncle and aunt um, that year, and I don't know what happened to it, but the coolness uh, never left uh... my heart and I went on to a long career as a journalist some of which involves pop culture and i stumbled upon what i would call either uh... unknown history or forgotten history and we can get into a little more about why i'm not sure which of those categories is precisely right but i stumbled across some really interesting background on the case which is you know now a holy grail collective item and i was looking for a venue which i thought had the right uh, appreciation for a pop culture item of this kind of standing and i'm a regular listener to talking comics and i know you guys span a whole bunch of things from movies to uh, to video games, and I think I might have heard an occasional mention of toys. So I reached out because I thought this might be the best way to tell people something about a pretty historic item, uh, and and get it widely uh, get it some wide attention.
0: Yeah, Mike, for sure.
1: Mike, let
2: me just jump in quickly. I am very jealous because in 1965, when I was seeing the James Bond movies, I could never find this piece no matter how I tried. I wanted desperately to have one of these attache cases. I mean, I had the the Gilbert little toys, you know, the the play sets, you know, the laser table that would cut James Bond in half and the little Thunderball ship or whatever. I have a Corgi Aston Martin that I still have from when I was nine years old.
1: Oh, oh, that's
2: terrific. But I could not find this attache case. I did have the Mattel knockoff version, the Agent Zero M, but it's not nearly as cool. (laughs) Right.
1: And there were, and that is one of the distinguishing factors about this case. There were more than one knockoff, and then there were other properties, right? Like Man from Uncle, that imitated the format, but yep. the original licensed 007 James Bond attaché case is the epitome of this of this category of toy.
0: So, the attaché case uh, is from uh, the 1963 James Bond film from Russia with Love, right?
1: That was the inspiration.
0: Yeah, um, which
1: the, which is part of the story of its invention. Correct.
0: Yeah, so in this case, obviously, it includes a cool James Bond spy case, and in that, it also had a sniper rifle, throwing knife. Um, let's see, what else did it have?
2: Had um, some money, a code book.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> who doesn't love code books?
1: If, if, if oh, I, yeah, they, the, oh yeah, but oh yeah. But the ahead cool, ahead. Ahead. the coolest factor was in. I mean, you just, you just glossed over, Stephanie. The cool, the rifle was something you assembled, yep. okay, inside the case. Because it was a and pistol. Code book,
0: Wasn't it a pistol it w- that also turned into? Um, it fit
1: into the rifle. Yeah, correct. It, and uh, the code book exploded with a cap.
0: What? If you, um,
1: <laughs> if you didn't know what you were doing, and the dagger could be, the rubber dagger could be extracted from the outside of the case, which also fired a bullet through a little secret compartment um, if, if the case was in good working order. And there was, uh, there were, James, it was currency and James Bond calling cards, business cards that had Different information if you pass them under a little piece of red plastic cellophane that was inside a passport holder. This this case was this case was cool. Uber
0: cool. It, it inspired probably many a child to seek uh, law enforcement out as a career down the line, I'm sure.
2: <laughs> or international villainy perhaps. Yeah,
0: maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe we have some super villains out here that were inspired by this case. The no um,
1: question that inspired people because for one year it sold like hot shit.
0: So this, like, is a really elaborate toy, like, and to call it a toy, I, I feel like is a real understatement to what it is. It's kind of amazing. Um, and obviously a lot of work had to go into putting something together that was going to be marketable to the masses, Um because I mean the 007 movies, James Bond. I mean it's not necessarily for kids, but this is a toy, a collector's toy. So
1: it it, it was it was it was a it was meant it was meant as a mass market to be play with and abused toy <laughs> for children in 1965. Today it's become. Um, as I said, uh, an object uh, sought out at incredible prices when it's complete and in great condition uh, by collectors.
0: So, how is this a story? Um, what what new information do you have about a toy from 1965 that would be interesting to our listeners?
1: So that's that's the charm here. Um, I. I Think that there are a lot of details about um, how the case came into existence that are have never been clear, Um, and I there's one that now seems trivial compared to the story I'm about to tell about a decal that was on the outside of the case, and I've always, um, as a collector, more than as a journalist, been rooting around, trying to talk to other collectors, trying to talk to other uh, pop culture journalists to get as much information as I can and it was never uh, very productive Um, I can remember going to a toy panel at WonderCon last year and they were all interested in hearing my question about the case and all thought all the experts up on the panel who were toy collectors or toy historians they all thought they were going to be able to answer the decal question and none of them could and I just always have routinely, when I've had spare time, Googled around to see what I might find on an auction site um, from someone who knew something that no one else did. And suddenly recently, um, all that Internet searching popped up something that had never been obvious before in a search, and that was a self-published book by a man who's in his late 90s who turns out to have been the inventor of the James Bond case. says He's never never been interviewed. um, As far as he knows, no one outside of family and friends has ever known that he was the individual behind the case. And in this self-published book, in a really quirky and charming style, in a few different segments of it, he rolls out a story, about the sudden inspiration as an independent toy inventor to create this thing and the way the the big company that existed at the time, Multiple Products, jumped on it and how he hit a gusher that year, eventually earning $1.2 million in royalties. And then he says, The second version of the case, and there was a second version, and that's easy enough to find looking around on the Internet, but it was much different, tanked, leaving the company with warehouses full of product they couldn't sell. The Bond case faded into history for him, and he seems uh, completely unaware of how it has become this iconic old toy sought by baby boomers and representing this um, collector's dream.
0: So does he outline you you got a chance to speak with him a little bit um after you discovered so him I've been going back and forth in email with him and and a
1: few things have gotten clearer he he told me I originally so I I found the references to the book in a simple Google search and found the book on Amazon it's called Rolopad the adventures of an inventor and when I said charming as well as quirky it is his Alphabetical, uh, alphabetically inspired recollections of his life and career as he goes through his Rolodex. And within the first few listings, there's a listing for an oil dealer company. Uh, the last name is Albright, so it's in the A's. And you're reading about these people who supplied his oil burner at a farm that he bought outside Albany. But you're not reading about the oil burner and the farm. You're reading about the invention of the bond case. Why? Because he took he took um, a big chunk of the proceeds and bought the farm. And so as he was going through his Rolodex and he saw the name of the oil dealer, he was reminded of the invention of the case. And there are a few other places in this book, where other things spark additional um memories about the case. And and this is how we find out um how the case came to be. Um, what and a completely it's... <laughs>
0: random way to do your like memoir, like the Rolodex memoirs.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm stealing that. I'm gonna do that. I
1: love
0: yeah. that. I love that. Um, so
1: it took me a little bit to, to track him down, and I actually first tracked down um, a relative, a nephew, who put me in touch with him. His name is Benjamin Kinberg. And what he wants most, uh, I don't think he has any idea um, what a what a podcast is, at least not in this context. And um, what he wants most is for everyone to know about his book, Rolopad, and hopefully they will buy it or download it from... Uh, Amazon. It is $3.99 Kindle price. So it is a real bargain for a lot of these very charming recollections of a long life inventing products, um, with some other tangents that he goes down that are quite delightful at times and very, and very personal. Um, there's a great anecdote about a woman he knew. Who, um, somehow always drove talking a mile a minute while looking at the people in the back seat, but never had an accident. Um, it's that, it's that kind of a tone throughout. And I found him through this nephew, and he, Benjamin Kinberg, is either 96 or 97. We'll come back to why I couldn't pin that down. And he said he's hard of hearing and he wanted to do the communication through email. So we went back and forth, um, in email. And he supplemented some of what's in the book in the way of additional information. He said the book was over a million dollars. He did the math in email to me and said it was $1.2 million in royalties. And there's some additional information um, about uh, what happened when someone disputed his credit for the invention. And he sent me some Xeroxes, which actually, uh, which are the last of his files. Uh, with photos of the original product announcements, which actually only raises more questions for me about the details of the toy. But it seems to me that this guy ought to go down in the same way Ruth Handler went down as the inventor of Barbie. He seems to me to be a guy who should be known and not forgotten as the inventor of this toy.
0: And he's obviously, like, delightfully eccentric, again, Going back to the whole Rolodex memoirs thing, um, so what what did you kind of tell him about what you wanted to do, what you wanted to talk about? Were you just trying I, to? I, Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I, I told him that I wanted to. I I said that I I asked him if if he had. It's a long time ago now, nineteen sixty five. I asked him if he had ever been known of this invention. I asked him if um, anybody had ever interviewed him. Um, I asked him if he could remember any publicity um, at which he was the center. He says no. He doesn't say not, he couldn't recall it. He says it never happened. I have this tiny little bit of um, wonder uh, based on one additional detail that's in the book. He He describes how he took his idea, and we'll come back to this inspiration this overnight inspiration for this toy he describes how he took his idea to uh, a model maker who got a prototype together within 48 hours and he says in the book that the model maker uh later sued him claiming to be the actual inventor and lost so this means that somewhere along the line there was you know there was a lawsuit um there was some paperwork but i can't find any indication that it was a lawsuit that drew any journalistic attention. Um, I've looked through the entire historical archives of the New York Times, and there's no indication, and it was just, as I said earlier, just a kid's toy. It probably wasn't something that would attract the kind of attention that one of these kinds of events would attract today. It, It did make me wonder just a little if, because it was out in the public record somewhere, that there's been something in a trade publication or a legal paper way, way back that specified him. But as best I can tell, he's never been known. And I thought he ought to be known. So I told him I wanted to get his story out and that I wanted to ask him some additional questions. And I think he thought that, you know, I would do a traditional story and place it somewhere in print. And um, the more I thought about it, the more I was concerned, that um, that wasn't the right way to convey this, that it needed the right audience. I thought Talking Comics was the right audience for that, and that it might even go viral through you. Um, So that's why I reached out.
2: Let me say this. His toy, in essence, went viral when you look at it back then. If he had a million point two in royalties... What did this toy actually sell for in 1965 and how many pieces did they have to
1: sell for that kind of royalty check to be generated? Do we know? So that's a, I do have a partial answer to that. And if I had the uh, money to, on eBay, collect every single Sears Christmas and Montgomery Ward and JCPenney Christmas <laughs> catalog from all, all those surrounding years, I could be more exact, but it is possible to go on Google Images and and find one clear hit for the 1966 J.C. Penney catalog a year later okay. which shows not only the second case which was much different in format and tank according to him, and the original case still being sold I guess um, that year later at least by J.C. Penney and the price on the whole case in that ad is nine dollars and eighty-eight
0: cents. <laughs> wow. So I mean, it really, um, had to accumulate what, for him to get that much in royalties.
2: Well, they got I, a dollar a case, I, even yeah, and that's probably way too high.
1: Wow. R- right. I, I have not done. I, I don't know if the price varied. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know what that. You know, he says it was a 5% royalty, but was that on a wholesale price or retail price or something? Mm. I, I, don't, I haven't tried to do the math. I, I only know that in the book he talks about making over a million. And in an email to me, he says about $1.2 million. Wow.
2: Yeah. The, the, if the wholesale back then, that might have been $3 and some change, perhaps. When you start mm-hmm. to think of you know, what 5% of $3 is, uh, 15 cents or <laughs> to to generate a million
1: bucks 15 cents at a time my gosh and again some of the clarity that i don't have and i and i don't know that i'm ever going to be able to get when he sent me xeroxes of the last things in his file and i asked him you know if he had i, I was wondering he told me he had no actual uh, products uh, that he had ever retained. He never thought it was anything that was going to be meaningful. He never. He, he, he said something in some email about having given away the last case that he personally had many years ago. Um, I wondered what in his files might be historic and even valuable for him. He says he doesn't have, for instance, a copy of the original contract with multiple products, which I think would be a piece that He'd find um, auctioneers clamoring for if he had it. <laughs> what he did send me were some Xeroxes of of what appears to be a whole bunch of product that accompanied the attaché case. That sold pieces of the attaché attache case in individual toys, so that they sold the codebook separately, and they sold <laughs> the pistol, the Luger separately, and they sold the rifle separately. And so there were a whole bunch of these components of the case that were also sold individually. And I've seen a few of these pop up on eBay, but not very often. Um, so I don't, and, and when he, and I don't know, even though he says the second case, which was a, a case that had essentially a mortar shell in it that also could be <laughs> fired through uh, the case. It's known as the Bach case, the Bond Assault Raider kit. OK, um, I'm sure some of it sold. So I don't know what the total, you know, component of sales were uh, yeah. that led to this million plus for him.
0: I feel like it would be so hard to find something like this nowadays, too. Like, I kind of feel like it's so expensive because you wanted to open this. You want it to, like, play with this. You want it to be James Bond as a kid, right. you know, like. It's it's not like oh, yeah. you're just taking out, like, it's, it's so different from, for instance, like, the Star Wars figures, which wind up in boxes for years. Um, this is something that you, like, can't resist taking out of the box, because, like, what kid doesn't want to play spy and try and be James Bond? Like...
1: Trying to reassemble this case today in all its ingredients. For instance, um, the tw- there were twelve orange plastic bullets. Okay, um, and uh, finding what are original <laughs> orange plastic bullets for the case um, is uh, is a pretty challenging and probably hard to authenticate um, uh, process for collectors, putting it all back together again the way it was is uh, you know, I I guess it could you could say it's part of the allure of collecting, but it's also part of the nightmare of of doing the complete thing.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I can't even imagine trying to find all of these things. Like I guess maybe if you also just had a butt ton of money lying around, you could try and find these at your leisure, but like, as I was doing some research myself um trying to look up this stuff, you know like it doesn't come up on eBay a lot like this stuff is really rare it's
1: it's very it's very hard to find in um any kind of uh mostly complete or well functioning condition if you think of all the elements of it from the the coded locks on the outside of the case to the bullet firing mechanism yeah it's 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 part of the fun and 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 it's part of the frustration of trying to recover these things uh from the baby boomer era
0: so what happened to Kinberg after this was this like his one and done like it, it, actually, it, it,
1: no. Although there's this one bittersweet r- reference um, in the book to um, wishing that he had he could at some point have invented something with uh, a permanent staying power, something like Monopoly or Barbie. He certainly now maybe through my communications with him, has a glimmer of the nostalgic uh, mm-hmm. permanence, of the iconic permanence, but he didn't because it lasted about a year and some additional months of hot sales and then faded away as a, a product that um, no longer had currency. Kids were fickle. They turned away to something else. He thought of it only as a, um, a, a very lucrative flash in the pan, but a flash in the pan. And he mentioned a couple of other things that came later in his career that he said were also extremely profitable for him. A really complicated drawing toy called the luminescent slate. And a baby gym he went he went on to a lot of uh product development over many, many years but um for us, on the outside, looking in, it's the bond attache case which uh trumps everything
0: and i mean i'm I'm trying to think about it nowadays like i i I loved you know kind of random things like this, like things that allowed me to kind of role play like kind of fantasize about other worlds and other lives I could live. Um, Do you think anything like this would have a staying power now? I mean, James Bond is obviously still a huge thing. It's been taken a lot more seriously with uh, Daniel Craig in um, the role and the, the revamp of what they're doing. But do you think they could bring back something like this and it would be profitable or would it still be, would it wind up with a warehouse of cases. So
1: so speaking as a collector and a journalist, my observation is that, that it's moved on to actually a more sophisticated level, right? When you see these people who are the recreators of the the, the Star Wars, what's the name of the legion? Uh, is it the 501 Legion? Yeah. The 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 ones who um mock up realistic uh costumes the 501st. and, and Right, the final, they, the 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 work they do in terms of um, model m- making. Are you guys just still there? I just heard a beep. Yeah,
0: yeah. no, we're still you? here. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, sorry. Um, um, the the work they do in terms of um, precision replicating of things that they that they've seen in movies. Uh, you see a lot of that across a lot of different genres. Of Pop culture, I think the bond case is just an example of of that of that sensibility that uh, first baby boomers and then uh succeeding generations got into them from mass market toys. It has now become a craft uh that uh that's pretty sophisticated and um really impressive
0: so. What else did he like I mean obviously Kinberg, you said he went on to do other things, but like he was he just solely like basically a toy inventor, and that's what he did? No, I don't think so um I, to tell you the truth,
1: I haven't gone all the way through Rolopad. I think' he I think he describes a lot of different um ideas um for, for products that he worked on for a very long time. I I have to admit that I got completely uh, stuck on the part of his life where the Bond case came into play. Um, I was always trying in my conversations with him, and still will, to pin down um, little details uh, about things. Um, You know, time, time, I think, has faded his memory about some of it. Uh, as well. And then there's this, I mean, I was just, I said earlier, I was in a little bit of a loop, um, with him. I think at one point his nephew said to me he was 96 and then at another point said 97. And when I tried to ask Kinberg, um, to clarify, he wrote that he's quote, I am too old to cry and it hurts too much to laugh and wouldn't, <laughs> and, and wouldn't be m- more specific than that. Um and there, and there was a lot of that in our, in our back and forth. He wrote me at one point that he appreciated me labeling him as a historical figure. Um, his granddaughter, he says, is probably the only individual who might put me in that category up until my, my uh, inquiries of him. A, a lot of our conversations got down to this sort of... Um, very, um, uh, quippy and, uh, warm sort of exchanges back and forth about something that I just don't think he has an appreciation for understanding is such a revelation to people, uh, and is, and is important to them in a very emotional way, in some way. He has that permanence.
2: And now that you can get his name out there, that permanence is now attached to his name. Because it is a toy that people remember from then, attached to, you
1: could argue, but
2: is probably the most successful franchise in film history. I
1: think that's um, that's a good argument, and I, I'm always clipping things from the Wall Street Journal about the most successful franchises of all time, and I and I don't know where any the dollar figures or other measurements. Uh, the Bond franchise stands, but it has to be very close. If you would just adjust uh, box
2: office grosses for inflation, movies like Thunderbolt are in the top 20 of all time. Mm
1: -hmm. That's a great point. A great point. Yeah. You know, I I must have read the part where he describes, um, the actual inspiration for the case 20 times. It's, it's not very complicated. Um, it's not very lengthy, but it, but it just has this, uh, Particular personality to it. He, he says that he had gone to the theater, and I'm shortcutting it here. And he says he went to the theater with his wife to see From Russia with Love. And what I didn't write down is I know there's some side notes in that section in Rollopad about him leaving his kids at home and being a little nervous um, while he was watching the movie about the fact that they left the kids at home alone. And he says that either during or after the flick, it suddenly hit him, and these are his words in the book, to design, quote, an attaché case containing all of the paraphernalia that every self-respecting junior spy carries (laughs) with him at all times. I I
0: love that that, (laughs) that it's self-respecting because, you know, like, it's very specific to if you have any sense of pride whatsoever, this this is the shit. You need this. Like, he is coming up with this toy and he's already got like an ego for it. Like he's like, this is going to rock.
1: <laughs> and, and then he goes into some details about why the guy who was in charge of making decisions at multiple products for a bunch of reasons related to that guy's career and the history of multiple products might have jumped on it as emphatically and as quickly as he did, but he did and secured a license from the Ian Fleming estate. So that it was actually a branded 007 toy, and then he describes taking it to this model maker and, by his, based on his oral description, getting a prototype turned around in 48 hours. You know, again, this is where the collector in me and the journalist comes out. I, I think, I think of my God, where does that prototype? What <laughs> happened to that prototype? Is that sitting in um, some attic of some? Descendant of the people who wrote, uh, who ran multiple products um, without them understanding what they had there, which is a would be a museum piece, not to mention an auction piece, and how it all came together that quickly, and then it quote hit a gusher for him that led to this farm in Albany, New York, um, and his his kind of surprise at hearing from me that anyone cared this much about this.
0: So what do you think, I mean, aside from doing this and talking to us about his work, how do we get the word out about this man? Like, I mean, it seems a little unfair that, you know, Barbie and things like that, obviously they still exist and still have that lasting power that we talked about earlier. uh, So therefore the inventor has the name attached. But this guy doesn't even like have a Wikipedia page or anything, right?
1: No, he's got his book. Okay, and I'm and I'm and
0: I'm I I don't,
1: you know, you you guys sold me a long time ago on talking comics as a place with authentic down the earth voices and some credibility about a wide range of pop culture things. I've never I've never been curious. I only cared that it worked for me. I've never been curious about the size of your audience or who in your audience has the power to tweet or re-communicate. I know that at some point I'll, um, I'll, if this podcast works out the way we all expect it to, I'll try to send out on my own Facebook friends uh, uh, page an alert for people to uh, check it out. And some of my journalist friends may have an additional interest in it. Although um, I will say, and no slight intended, before I settled on talking comics, I do have a friend who's an on-camera reporter for a major cable TV network, and I thought this would be a fantastic opportunity for him. He's in New York, especially with Toy Fair, the, the toy industry's preview show, which has been getting a lot of publicity over the week mm-hmm. weekend and a lot of different publications from the L.A. Times to USA Today. And um, I thought it would be perfect for them to go interview Benjamin Kinberg, put him on TV and put him in the spotlight. And Kinberg, for whatever reason, uh, had no interest in that. Um, He shied away from it pretty sharply um, when I mentioned it to him in an email. So I'm not quite sure um, how to continue to make this percolate, but um, I'm hoping that Talking Comics has that kind of clout.
0: Well, we definitely love, to hear about cool things like this like it's it's like one of those things that baffles me when you have something iconic and years later like this is what 40 50 years later and we're only talking about who was behind this now like it's insane it just it is it's crazy that it takes such a long time to open up dialogue about this and you know whether or not it comes back to him or not Kinberg, um, it's one of those things that it feels right to kind of discuss it in his lifetime still.
1: Amen. I keep thinking maybe there will be someone out there who will hear this and who will know something themselves about it. But really, I mean, if he's, I mean, he's 96 or 97, um, who would be left? I mean, the company Multiple Products, which is a division of another corporation that long ago disappeared. I, I can't imagine who would be left um, with either firsthand knowledge or um, clear details um, about it. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I didn't want to uh, send the piece off to a print publication where there might be a lag in time um, before it it saw the light of day. It seemed to me that time is running out, and I'd love it, actually, if if this turned out to not be a, a completely original scoop. If somebody remembers something from the 1960s that Kinberg himself doesn't remember, some trade publication story or some interview, That multiple products gave that would be great to add to the legacy. So, but I don't think so. Uh, I mean, from everything he has said, and from everything I've searched for,
0: you never know. You just never know. Where where can people get in touch with you if they want to further your education on this story, further your history?
1: So I yeah, I mean, that's a uh, let's let's do it this way. Um, I'm not that hard to find. Um, uh, I we can always open up Univers- a thing on
0: the forums, too. Right. Um,
1: actually, I hadn't anticipated that question. I mean, I'm on <laughs> Facebook, but, you know, my, my, my privacy settings are such that they would have to... I think now when you message people, it doesn't drop into that old no. other folder. It, I it think, goes I into think I would,
0: a filtered thing, and then you wind up not noticing them for months and months and months. <laughs>
1: I think they might. I think they might find me um, that way. Um, I work at Stanford University. They could find me that way. Um, Is there let, a public me, um, email
0: that you feel comfortable sharing? Well, so that I hadn't considered until
1: now. If you don't <laughs> mind, I might. Um, I mean, there's a chance. There's a little bit of chance of getting overwhelmed, right? Sure. Um, so. Well, why don't we open um, up
0: a thing on the forums? So for that. everyone who's listening, um, whether you're a member of the forums or not. Our public and safe community is talkingcomics.freeforums.net. Uh, Bob and I, we will open up a topic um, in the general... Dis- Actually, we'll, we'll put it in the Talking Comics section yes. since we are doing this on the show. So um, okay. if, you, if you head to the forums, um, go to the Talking Comics uh, section, and there'll be a section for this special edition show. Uh, So whether you enjoyed this little history of the James Bond attache case um, or whether you have some more information to further what we know about this um, classic toy,
2: a picture of yourself playing with one.
0: Yes, please tell us your stories about having this toy. If you had it, tell us about whether or not you were like one of those kids that can only get the knockoff. We want to hear all the stories. But we're gonna create a place um, on the forums for you to get in touch with us, and Mike will check that uh, for information if anyone has anything they want to leave. Um, that sounds perfect.
2: Yeah, we will we will there, set that can, up. Yeah, you can private message people that way too if you don't want to. If people don't want to share their things publicly. There are ways around that. Just through our forums, because as Stephanie said, very very safe community we have going on. So you'd, you'd be good to go, Mike.
0: And everyone else
1: I is with I should have anticipated this, you know, but I <laughs> it's a it, this is a this is not a question. Of all the questions I thought I had anticipated, this isn't one. And I <laughs> between between keeping my work life separate from these kinds of obsessive passions um and and also not knowing um what's out there <laughs> that will approach me, I think this is probably the the most prudent way to start, huh?
0: absolutely we'll see what people have to say if they have any stories or if anyone has any more information i mean that would be really cool to hear about um a lot of our listeners are in like the new york area um and you know they're they're a lot of the history comes right from there so let us know all of your stories whether it's relevant to more information or just sharing your pastime with us um Mike, is there anything else that you want to tell us about as far as this awesome attaché case goes?
1: I don't think so. Um I I mean I do I do recommend I've I've covered a lot of what he says about it in in these different places in the book, but, but you know, again for 3.99, this is a very um this is a very winning personality Telling a um, uh, stories of uh, times and places in a product inventive life that um, that I would I would say is um, uh, it's it's a not a bad way to just spend some time uh, in in reading. But other than that, I think we've covered the basics, and I just I just kind of think that um, we've done we've done a service. To something that an awful lot of people out there, whether they whether they have anecdotes or whether they have any history of their own, will, real, that it will really resonate with them. They remember it. They're seeking it now. They, they, they ogle it when they see it at toy and comic book conventions. And I'm grateful for uh, you and Bob uh, spending time with me about it. Absolutely. That's a lot of fun.
0: Thank you so much for doing all this research and sharing it with us. Um, so once again, um, Kinberg's book can be found on Kindle. Um, you said, was there anywhere else it could be found, or? Well, he he's got
1: a he's got a paperback version that's that's you know a full twenty four or twenty five dollars that's available through Amazon. But the Kindle version, you know, has a lot of. Searchability and is uh, when I check today is it three ninety nine and um, I think that's that's the you know I I downloaded it to my phone not to a uh, not to a tablet and it's um it's the best immediate thing anybody could do if they want to get a sense of this not through me but through the writer directly.
0: Yeah, and find out more about what's in his Rolodex.
1: <laughs>
0: right. um well thank you once again so much for coming on and sharing this with us um i i really actually just want to go watch james bond now <laughs> i want right. to go I, like I, I, be a super spy you need
1: to watch for I, I hope you listen his likes. i'll be really curious to see what kind of reaction there is.
0: yeah and again everyone listening um, If you have a cool story to share about James Bond, the attache, attache case, um, anything, get in touch with us. Um, we'll, again, open up that uh, area of discussion over on the forums, which are at talkingcomics.freeforums.net. Um, Mike will check in there. Um, meanwhile, if you want to get in touch with us uh, directly on Facebook and Twitter, we are at TalkingComics. Um, let's see. We've got a bevy of podcasts going on over on the website. Um, I'm not going to list them off because I feel like they are always growing and I will forget one of them. Uh, go find them yourself. I say with beloveditude. Um But yeah, this is our special edition feed. Stay tuned here for all kinds of cool things like this. Um, and you can get in touch with Bob and I uh, individually. I'm on Twitter at HelloCookie. And Bob's email is
2: Bob Ryer at talking dot com
0: and as we mentioned uh the forums are a safe and really positive community. Bob is basically like the king of the forums.
2: oh, thank you, that's lovely
0: so he is a wise and kind ruler um <laughs> he uh, but he he rules with an iron fist, so if you are being a dick, you're gone. The best place to talk to Bob is there. I feel like he's there all the time. Um, so we will make sure that this uh, this post goes up, and you can discuss with us some more. And maybe Bob will share some stories about his love of James Bond. There you go. Maybe. Maybe you'll see some stories from Uncle Bob. Who knows?
1: Thank you both. Talking comics is one of my favorite things. And as you can tell, um, I, I like history. Um, I probably read alter ego and back issue as much as i read new comics and i always get the sense um that all of you on the show have a sense of history and that's probably another explanation for why i gravitated to you thank you for this
0: come back anytime we
1: go ahead go ahead steph
0: we love discussing cool things and you obviously have a sense for what's unique and interesting so you are forever welcome to come share anything like this (laughs) or anything else
2: you beat me that entirely, Steph. Good I'm job. I'm
0: so sorry, Bob. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Bob. I feel like you didn't get to chat nearly enough, but thank you very much uh for joining us, Mike as well, and we'll see you next time on another edition of Talking Comics Special Edition.